Pierce Brosnan is back, but not singing. In honor of Cry Macho, what's a better name for a movie involving cockfighting? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and it's Go Cox. It's a movie that takes place in, during a tailgate before a South Carolina Gamecocks football game. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Rockadoodle, that movie where the uh, roosters sing, but probably fight. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'm going to go with Crimson Feathers, because you're going to have a lot of those after a long night of cockfighting. I'm David Ehrlich. I came back for the wrong episode. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am totally, I'm totally blindsided by this. I have one eye reading the Cry Macho press notes, and it's not helping. Uh, can I go with Cry Macho colon Cry Again? It's a sequel. Sure, sure. I guess that kind of, you know... Spoils that maybe Macho survives, but cry, you know, cry again. Uh, yeah, Macho's cry, Macho too. He's like, the, he's like the Terminator. You can't kill Macho. Can't kill Macho. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 365. One fighting in the war room for every day of a year. What a what a milestone. Oh, hey, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's also Pandemic 78. And it's also the week of Wednesday, September 15th. That's the day that in 1949, The Lone Ranger premiered on TV. Uh, oh, silver. Away. And such. Do you think that's IP that's dead now? Like, given that they already made a huge movie of it, and no. nobody cared. You think it's going to come back? Yeah. Yes. No idea. Everything, Everything comes dead. back. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it's got a. No. It's got a few good go arounds before someone declares it What's public that? domain, and then everybody like gets a Disney Plus original. I just have Dumbledore's happen. voice in my head when he's talking to Harry Potter about how no one has ever really gone, but he's talking about intellectual property. Just, just imagine. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you might have thought that David was dead, but he's not. He's back. <laughs> David, you didn't, uh, uh, you didn't, never you didn't stay in the mountain. <laughs> David's never died. They only come back as different IP. Um, I, I am medically alive is really the, the most generous description I can give myself right now. Uh, at the height of this festival season. Thank you. You were just um, also, at or where, uh, where you I was know? just at Telluride. I am now mentally in Toronto. Uh, but I am home with a toddler who has decided upon flying home from California, where I also was, that he is now, even though he still has two months to go until he's two, he's two now, uh, and he's going to act like it. And holy shit, is it a sea change that neither Elisa nor I were ready for. Um, Goddamn, Asa. Didn't we prepare you? I mean... No. Yeah, we are here as your hand-selected, your hand-selected Instagrams of Eleanor and Charlie and Sam just looking adorable, minding their business, did not in any way prepare me for Asa <laughs> screaming. Uh, during, but Elisa just bought, she just went on Amazon and bought a book called. Uh, let's see what it's called. It's called. So you have a demon child. Shut I, up. I mean, you're no, not we're far, getting you're really there. Not we're getting there, Dave. <laughs> You are really not far off. It's called Toddlers Are Assholes, colon, It's Not Your Fault. <laughs> um, and does this book offer any advice or do people simply spend $8 on it because it feels in some way it validates cathartic? validates their feelings. Uh, right. And it includes chapters with names like The Theory of Toddler Evolution and Mealtime, a.k.a. Hell, Your Unraveling Life, and How Not to Die Inside. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I, I think uh, I think it'll do... Elisa, some good to read it anyway. 
Uh, anyway, I'm back. Uh, yay, I'm sure I was deeply missed. I hope you all enjoyed my rambling story about neglecting to remember or ask Roger Michelle about directing the greatest movie ever made, Notting Hill. It still haunts me to this day, even though it was only mm. less than two weeks later. Um, we have a number of reviews. I did listen to both of the episodes that were recorded while I was gone. Um, Sith Holocron, hashtag. But yeah. I do not remember what... <laughs> Reviews we read, I don't really recognize any of these four reviews that we have from the beginning of September. Oh, that probably um, means we have more reviews. All right, well, you the guys last one we me. read referenced Geonosian team synergy in Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. <laughs> so if you get there, god, you've gone oh too my far. God. Oh, I see. So you read the one you read the one about our semi political with mid lefty takes? Yes, we definitely talked about okay. that one. Great. Well, then oh, wait, we have... hang on. I might be confusing that with the review from Still Watching in which they talked about political takes. Did we read yeah, that? I was going to say, I don't, think we've, we've, I don't think we've read the... It, might be the, it may very well be the same Jesus. person. Listen, You're not um, even on that one. Let's hear that, I am, let's hear I that am review, on that David. one. Thank you very much. Well, now. in that case, <laughs> this did come in a day before Listen the to Katie on Still uh, Gene Ocean's <laughs> review, but uh, it's a quick one from Jundland Wastelander who gives us three stars and says they vote for awards and stuff. Found the show during the Game of Thrones era. Since then, it's become semi-political with mid-lefty takes on pop culture you can find in any banal Weird. Vanity uh, Fair article. Political. He referenced <laughs> Vanity Fair. So maybe this is the same person who left a comment on Little Gold yeah. Men. If that's your thing, the show is for you. But is it your thing, Judland Wastelander? It sounds like with the three stars. Yeah, when were we a Game of sure. Thrones show? I Keep don't really politics out. Is this supposed to be a review for the story? Everything. I think we caught a three star review for another podcast. No, Damn. we'll take we'll take that too. If no, you haven't I left th- a podcast, uh, <laughs> I think that they they just start listening to the show during the Game of Thrones era, maybe because of storm of spoilers. Um, uh, I don't know. Hard to say. Anyway, they wanted uh, to get into the expanded universe. JCH81 says, don't want to hear about Star Wars. Seriously, no thanks. Well, JCH81, <laughs> you've done your part. Keep up the good fight. Uh, well done. That's all we need. Finally, El Mohana, with our new featured review of the week. Week, week, week. A new segment that I'm introducing ad hoc right now, based on getting a review that is more than one sentence long. Uh, by default, Katie was right. There are a lot of Dave Sevens out there. Five stars. This podcast is the perfect pick-me-up for the midweek doldrums, and it also actually inspired us. Dot, dot, mm. dot. Uh, is, is this person like a tulpa? Do they have a tulpa? I'm very much in a malignant state of mind right now. Um, even though I haven't seen that movie, but I had a lot of fun reading the Wikipedia page. First, thank you, Dave Seven, for checking your country, your county COVID numbers. I still do as well. Dave, I was recently in Colorado, as you know, and I was told mm-hmm. that Mesa County, where the Grand Junction Airport is, is the uh, COVIDist COVID is county in the state, and uh, everything I I saw there in terms of uh, the the t-shirts anyway, uh, the the MAGA-related t-shirts, the uh, Binge Jesus t-shirts, etc., would suggest that that's true. How do you binge binge Jesus? Jesus. I I wanted to ask this gentleman, but I didn't want to get that close. Um, There should be a comma there, binge comma Jesus, because Jesus (laughs) was notoriously fat. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> no, he loved oh, Netflix. <laughs> oh, 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 um, no, we love binging. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Although I do live in the fifth most populous county in the U.S., San Diego County, tourism is the driving force here. Plenty behaves, behave as if there is no pandemic, and sunny San Diego draws anti-vaxer, maskless hordes. So, needless to say, we were not going to be seeing Shang Chi in our favorite theater. 
My partner and I were bummed, but it was the prudent choice, especially with the holiday weekend, coupled with the lack of information, read long COVID. But then I referenced this very podcast and noted how Dave Seven found a way to see the Green Knight. My partner, who was from San Diego, then said, we could go to the drive-in. I'm from New York. I didn't even know there was a drive-in. There is. Mm. It was safe. We love the movie. And we got to bring our dog. So thank you for inspiring us to come up with a creative and safe solution. Finally, I do love the Who Would Get Vaccinated segment. Perhaps keep it so David can partake as well. Many thanks, LB. LB, very helpful review. I also love the Who Would Get Vaccinated segment. I was participating in in it in absentia while listening to this podcast. Uh, I would love to bring it back for another round. I already did on my own. My own comb. About, I, did I did one for the Sopranos on my own. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, which was very contentious. The entire cast, or what? No, just uh, what I could fit in 280 characters, um, which ended up being three characters. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, fun game. We'll we'll bring it back. Is, uh, I don't think this pandemic seems like it's going completely away anytime soon, if ever. So there'll be time in future episodes. Stay tuned, please. If you're out there, if you don't want to hear about Star Wars, if you want to. Have us talking about whatever it is you have to say. If you want to be our second featured review of the week, 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 go on iTunes at <laughs> Fighting in the War Room and leave us a review. Let's talk, right. about, <laughs> let's talk about malignant malignant they should bring Great his hair word. back for malignant, malignant. <laughs> it makes you're it hard to hear my the hair heart. headphones you're breaking my confidence it doesn't really work but whatever no. oh malignant. Try, <laughs> i thought we we're gonna do malignant <laughs> uh patches what's malignant it's on hbo now it's a james wan movie we talked about it i think we referenced it last week in terms of nobody was talking about it um, I think we, you and I, have seen all of it. We uh, have. We and when we watch complete, we watch complete films. <laughs> when we start them, we go to the end. Uh, no, we watched it, and uh, yeah, no one was talking about this movie, and then suddenly everyone in in my film bubble was talking about Malignant this weekend. So I queued this this up at like 11 p.m. at night when I you really, really got to work on your sleep habits. I know I'm I'm falling apart. I was never this way. I was never a night owl. I was the first to sleep yeah, in my house. Yeah, you always every Wait, every time I wake you up at, at like 5:30. No, I'm sleeping until as late as my small child allows me to sleep. So that's like more of a 6:30 to 7 window. But yeah, not helping. I don't know. I, it just feels like the late night is my time. Mm-hmm. Only. Yeah. And my time is spent watching Malignant. <laughs> and you know what? A good use of my time. So this is the new movie from James Wan, who I saw posting on Instagram this weekend, really cautioning people like this is not the conjuring. Everybody, please. This is not even insidious. Um, and, you know, I, I realize a different I have a- adjective. This is a different word. We're moving on <laughs> through my thesaurus. Uh, we're going to Malignant now. Um, I obviously love aquaman it was on my top 10 of uh was that 2018 2019 when did aquaman come out all time i think it was was 2018 wasn't it the same time as cats wouldn't that be 2019 no 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 i think so now that's 20 okay you've solidified it definitely 2018 um that was and and i actually really like james wan's 
Fast and the Furious installment, number uh, seven. And his horror stuff has actually been the thing that I've never really quite latched onto. The first Conjuring movie, uh, I think I've seen. I just don't have very good memories of it. I saw the Insidious movies, did not care for them. They're just like weirdly staged and not scary to me. I guess the first Saw was kind of uh, surprising and and revolutionary in an in a indie way. But like James Wan and I, I don't know. I'm not, he is a horror guy, but I've never been into him as a horror filmmaker, which seems strange. But here, James Wan, as many people have noted, seems to be cashing in some Aquaman chips. He's currently on the set of Aquaman 2, uh, you know, with all Orm and Posting the whole pictures crew. pictures of Patrick Wilson being swole. Man, that guy is ripped. For <laughs> he this is movie. ripped. Um, but yes, often collaborated Patrick Wilson, not in Malignant. Thankfully, they got Annabelle Wallace of The Mummy, uh, 2017. Really excited about oh, that. Oh, wow, the Dark Universe. Little connection. Yeah, Dark Universe extended. Congratulations. Um, so James Wan, yeah, cashing in chips with WB, making Malignant, uh, just nonsensical until the beat drops, I guess. Um, little <laughs> horror movie. Dave, what, how would you, how, what is the beginning of this movie? It's all, it's all kind of a daze to me. Like the mythology this is the pre-spoiler is left part, and, right? We're going to spoil yeah, we're, Malignant, but we're going to have to talk about the final half hour of this movie when it just completely, it seems to vindicate its existence. It seems to be driving toward one revelation and one epic throwdown scene with its bad guy. But in the beginning, it might be a supernatural James Wan type movie. This movie is all about the red herring, right? Like, yeah, this is first, trash like, on purpose. For, okay, so there's an opening scene that's like a teaser. I'm going to say like it's supposed to be like Jurassic Park-esque. It's supposed to be thrilling. There's something mysterious. We don't know what we're dealing with. We jump forward in time. And then the film spell, spends its first third uh, with uh, this woman, Madison, who is pregnant and in an abusive relationship. Until... Yeah, this, the beginning of this movie is really like trigger warning sensitive. I mean, she is having miscarriages. She is being abused by her husband who throws her into a wall. And when she gets thrown into a wall, she hits the back of her head. And this causes great like trauma uh, related to both her pregnancy, but maybe... There's something more going on. The- well, we definitely don't have a lot to deal with because as soon as that happens, uh, she locks him out of the bedroom and then an intruder breaks into her house and snaps his neck and then attacks her. And she wakes up in the hospital and she's lost a baby. But then this isn't like the first baby that she's lost. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be a supernatural murder mystery featuring Madison when she starts having like sleep apnea or some such sort of thing where her body will be frozen. Right, like the nightmare with Rodney Asher. That, exactly. That's She's and uh, the, the dark shadow man. Yeah. The, she will see the murderer murdering people as like the room dissolves around her. It's a pretty cool visual effect. And you're like, Hey, this is she's uh, haunted. It's a supernatural seven is basically what the beginning. She keeps talking feels about like. how she might have like a, she has a childhood boogeyman friend or an imaginary friend maybe it's this friend come to life maybe she has literally been haunted since she was a child do you find this early stuff effective dave or is this all in service of the turn that this movie will eventually take I think like the, does it the, is it creepy from the beginning no the problem for me uh is first of all big fan of james wan horror movies second of all all i did wasn't planning on watching this and then i saw the twitter reactions start coming in and they were just wildly one way or the other. Like, this is genius. 
or this is trash. So I'm like, well, I have to just figure it out. You know, anything that's that divisive is at least worth taking a look at. And if you don't know the tone of this movie and you allow the movie to set its own tone, it's kind of trash. But once you see the whole picture of all of it, I think that first part uh, might be less frustrating uh, than it was actually like sitting through it. Because in the supernatural mystery structure, you're supposed to be able to like feel like you're close to figuring it out. Whether or not you actually are, you're looking for clues, you're trying to like figure things out. At some point, we see the killer in like this location with like a spinning fan and James Wan shoots it from a bunch of crazy angles. We're like, oh, where's this location going to be? I bet like the police are going to have to track him down. And there's a whole side plot about a whole tunnel system that's underneath Chicago that uh, connects everything. <laughs> Seattle, isn't it? Seattle. Seattle. Seattle the, sorry. Uh, yeah. Can you tell from all the rain? Um, this movie definitely has more in common with like Grindhouse and yes, or like intentionally bad movies or, or almost like Suicide Squad or something like where it's throwing back to trauma. This movie I don't think you understand it until later in the movie when it goes off the rails. But while it's on the rails, this feels more like a spoof of trashy movies you'd accidentally pick up at the the rental place uh, than it does Conjuring or Insidious, where it's like intentionally we're making a very scary, spooky movie. This is spoof yeah. almost. There, there are zero characters. Somebody will show up and tell you what their relationship is to the story. And then they sit in that relationship until the movie decides that it's done with them. It's really, it's really kind of crazy. I think it's mad genius. Everybody is acting like Nick Cage in the Baroque style of Nick Cage is how I describe every single performance in the movie. Uh, And it really, yeah, you're baffled by like every choice until, well, actually I should also mention the score is to a remixed version of Pixies. Where's my mind, which is also, (laughs) it's like so over the top. It's always raining. The where is my mind is constantly kicking in. Well, it's like Very a metal. Strange. It's like a early two thousands metal te- like horror score as well. So it's where is my mind through that, and then the title sequence is like it's straight out. The only thing I've seen that reminded me of the early two thousands in terms of mainstream movies like that was like that was Venom, which is like and here's an Eminem song. Like that's what the beginning of this movie feels like. So you are kind of laughing at it, which is I guess what yeah. patches what you're saying. Like the beginning's kind of traumatic is because you're not really expecting it to have like any sort of substance and so is it dealing with these things like superficially like how much am i supposed to care for madison those sorts of things i don't think the movie gives you time to figure that out before it just becomes something else so in the last 30 minutes of this movie there are there are revelations and katie we asked you (laughs) to watch the final 30 minutes of this movie because i didn't think you would care for the beginning hour and 15. Uh, Wait, so Katie I, only watched the final 30 Katie minutes? Has, I watched the last Katie 30 has minutes. Katie the last 30 minutes. Uh, Katie, I, what happens in the in the last 30 minutes of this Are movie? you going to ring the spoiler gong? Yeah, this is ding, ding, ding. If All you right. have not seen this movie and you have been enticed to get on board James Wan's lunatic experiment, go watch <laughs> it on HBO Max or see it at theater. This would be an amazing time with a uh, an audience, a horror audience that it gets was. it. Yeah. Spoiler gone. It's the spoiler gone. Um, well, yeah. So I turned it on. And there was this uh, pretty lady sitting in a jail cell. And then there was this other lady who was uh, researching and finding some boxes, VHS tapes. And it took me a minute to like piece together who was who. Because I'd read the Wikipedia plot summary, but like <laughs> it's hard when you're like giving all these names being like, the- and then Field <laughs> says to Martin, you're like, I don't know who those people are. Yeah. I-, I would um, highly recommend just on that point, Katie, that if you have not seen Malignant, like, like I have not, 
to go on the Wikipedia page and read the Wikipedia plot summary and see if you can follow it, and if so, how far. It is the single most intimidating Wikipedia plot summary I've read since D. Revan Hansen. And it is very intimidating, iconic. but you will get to the, to the reveal and be like, oh my god, you will know what the reveal is when you read it. Because the reveal is that this bad guy is not in fact a ghost or a supernatural villain. But it is a, Gabriel. Uh, we, we haven't been calling him Gabriel. by his official title. Uh, he Wonderful is a, a, a teratoma. Which is a real thing where people are born with like teeth and like hair and stuff inside their bodies. There's like an absorbed twin or something. But this one is a like Voldemort style head <laughs> and like originally like ribs and arms sticking out of the back of her head that they surgically removed and then they couldn't get all of it. So they just like they they were these they stuff like, it stuff in? it stuff is they stuff him inside her. Skull. It turns out Madison's a bit like a turducken. <laughs> Their own twin. No, it's literally just Professor Quirrell in the first Harry Potter with Voldemort sticking out of the back of his head, which never made any sense. And this one makes about as much sense. But it sets up this incredible action sequence that you guys are talking about, where Annabelle Wallace is like basically facing backwards and Gabriel bends her arms and legs forward so that he can fight with his head facing out. It's yes. really amazing. To, it's like just super straight gross. up ripping people in half and bashing yeah. them into prison bars. And you guys have made you me kind watch of some really seen... violent shit lately. With this <laughs> <laughs> you kind of see Adam Wallace's face on the yeah. back now. And I, I wonder how they do that effect, but it I is assume they see visually her face stunning? onto a stunt person. Cause like there's some really yeah. acrobatic impressive. Cause it's not just that like yeah. they're doing cool fight stuff, a- but they're moving in a way that makes you believe that they're the back half of a person. It's really yeah. amazing. Yeah. Not so- since Vim vendors Pina, have I been so impressed by just like <laughs> contorting bodies and rhythmic <laughs> movement. No, it's like, I, I, I'm interested to figure out uh, as more of this movie's backstory comes out, how many stunt performers it is. It seems like it's like 15 Cirque du Soleil people. Yeah. Like putting on those different things and do it because each of the stunts, like there's a bunch of stunts throughout the movie. And if you go back knowing what's going on, they're definitely like limbs are at the wrong angles and hands are backwards. And it's kind of an amazing thing to see come together, but also just so amazingly stupid and they commit to it so entirely that it, it works. Yeah, it's it just really like does. this action monster. And, and the monster's gross. So... Gabriel's gross. It looks like yeah. the uh, black gate guard in Lord of the Rings, return of the King or something. Just like all the teeth, all the bloody face and so talking bloody. about like, I feed off fetuses. That's why you keep having miscarriages. I'm like, this is so disgusting on every level. Yeah, all, the, uh, of execution. All, all the plot exposition that happens in that period is just like, no, stop talking about it. Like, I don't want to hear more explanation of how this worked. It's so stupid when you talk out loud. It's just cool when this amazing stunt performer rips people's heads off. <laughs> Yeah, so the thing they never explain is how he has like weird psychic powers to control electricity. But yeah, I don't care. I don't care. They don't explain that. No, it doesn't matter. It's fine. The movie wraps up in a way no. where it's like, and and someday you'll come back, but I'll be ready for you. And I'm like, holy shit, Malignant no, Two. I, I it basically <laughs> ends with Gabriel will return in Malignant <laughs> Two. Malignant Two. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think Gabriel may have been defeated by box office numbers, but. Yeah, um, I, I oh, this may, may answer may no a lot money. of questions. This may answer a lot of questions for for you all and the listeners out there. But I was I, I don't believe that a teratoma was involved in any way. But I was supposed to be twins, and what? there were there were twins. I, in the you've womb, said this and, before. I, you I was, have? Yeah, and I, I I I mean it's it's hard to imagine when you look at my feeble constitution. But I uh, ate and absorbed the other baby's power. Um, in the mm-hmm. womb, so 
You think um, until so your head I, gets I slammed do, against a wall. That's true. I do. I do have inexplicable psychic powers, uh, mm-hmm. and I do. I have been told that I resemble the Sauron's mouth, um, but I am only now putting all this together. Only by the comments. I was about to say, are we are we talking to uh, the real David, or are you like the Barton Hugo twist? Or is this actually Gabriel the whole time? Wait, (laughs) what does Gabriel's speaking voice sound like? Oh, pretty awful. Not Uh, like I am David's mother. (laughs) Like Rush Limbaugh. Um, (laughs) Not not saying a lot these days. No, well, he's coming (laughs) back too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Malignant. Um, will, will return in Malignant too. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, yeah, did the, did it ultimately? We, as someone else who has watched the entire movie, was this payoff worth watching all of Malignant? Can you oh, yeah. only watch the last half hour of Malignant, or do you feel like it does? It needs to build. I think Malignant's best watch. Uh, if you're not a person that just can consume a lot of bad horror movies and shrug it off, if you're just looking for the good ones or the cult classics. This is one of those cult classics. Watch it all the way through. It's bad in the best type of ways. If you see something you don't like it, you could laugh at it. It's fine. It's not really acted at all. It's 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 a really weird horror movie. And the coolest thing about it is it's James Wan who could have made anything. And he's like, man, this. So I'm I, I give it all the props. I'm sad there won't be a malignant too, just because like what would that even be? It would become a, a weird thing. But this is like in terms of your weird hyper violent uh like concepts movies like i would take this over like hobo with a shotgun this this yes. has a payoff um it's so I, would add, I, I agree that like probably the payoff is better if you watch the whole thing i definitely was watching it being like this is really impressive to watch but like the build-up you know it's like a build-up of any joke or anything else like you need to like hit the beats being like what's going on what is this thing for that reveal to hit the way that it is so if you um if you are a person who can handle any amount of horror and has more time than i did watch the whole thing if you're watching it and you think it's bad and then a woman drops through the ceiling everything after that you're on the roller coaster so that's when <laughs> when patches said when the beat dropped i almost clicked literally it. Like, when the woman drops uh, that, that's on, that note, on that note it is all malignant is on hbo max right now so go on Going to a lot of film festivals. I have not gone anywhere, but I have been part of virtual TIFF. Um, last week from Telluride, you talked about a lot of the big titles that uh, many of which are part of this year's TIFF, most of which are not available to vi- to view on their digital platform. And I think you and I don't want to sound too turlish complaining about the access that we have to this uh, ordinarily great film festival. Selection has been somewhat limited of what we can actually see at TIFF, but uh, I've seen a couple of things I liked. Have you seen anything you have liked from TIFF specifically? Uh, from TIFF specifically? Let me check. I I have actually. Uh, Power not, of the Dog is at TIFF, so it there are many there are many excellent films at TIFF. But if you're talking about the movies that have premiered at TIFF, if, just because it it will uh, spare us from repeating ourselves um, from some earlier festivals, uh, I I mean he doesn't have the biggest fan base in the world, but I am a big fan of Terrence Davies, uh, and he is back with his first movie since A Quiet Passion, which was the uh, Emily Dickinson biopic starring Cynthia Nixon. Uh, it was really the first film or television show to tackle Emily Dickinson. And now, you know, before Apple TV Plus's Dickinson made it all the rage. Uh, and this is another biopic about a poet uh, with whom 
Terrence Davies, who's a very um, wounded uh, and, and sort of exposed man, the way he would describe it is to say that he has a skin missing, um, has seen himself a kindred spirit in Siegfried Sassoon, the 20th century British poet who was the subject of this movie. It is a beautiful, difficult, achingly sad uh, melodrama that covers a lot of distance, um, a lot of uh, very handsome gay men being catty with one another, interspersed with pools of infinite sadness. Peter Capaldi plays the poet as an old man. Um, Jack Loden plays him as a young man. They're both excellent. War horse star himself, Jeremy Irvin, shows up. Um, it's, uh, it's if, if any of what I just said rings a bell for you, Benediction is, a, Benediction is a film to keep your eye on. It does not currently have distribution in the United States, um, but it's certainly worthy of it. But Terrence Davies movies don't tend to spell box office uh, macho. They are they ma- box office macho. Jesus Christ! Box office so macho. I'm like macho. <laughs> they are uh, they are truly the malignants of uh, of slow British melodramas. But um, this one seems to have been met with a pretty positive reception across the board. So who knows? Uh, there was also a really wild anime called Inuo that premiered at Venice, but is also playing in Toronto. Um, that reminded me a lot in terms of its pure psychedelia of a classic anime called The Belladonna of Sadness. It's not as depraved as that, but very few films are. Um, it's essentially like the tale of the Heiki, you know, this classic Japanese, uh, or a telling of the classic Japanese story. Um, it's about uh, the, the team up between a biwa player and a, a no theater artist in the 14th century. Um, but the way that it is modernized, their performances are sound a lot like Queen. Um, it's like <laughs> Freddie Mercury is sort of like the, the go-to expo. I mean, like in the, in the sequences, which eventually become the entire movie. I mean, once they set up the premise, it's just this this febrile rock opera. Um, the sequences where they play these songs and like giant whales of fire flying through the air. I mean, it's really, really wild. Um, G-Kids, the company that brings all of the anime to the United States, uh, all the anime features anyway, is really high on this one. It's going to be bringing it to the U.S., uh, actually, in like at the same time as I believe it premieres in Japan uh, in 2022. Inu O, uh, that was fun. Katie, what have you? Yeah, I'm also I want to mention humans, a movie so people can actually humans. see. All right, we talk talk about, about the humans, humans. Uh, which I That's haven't it. seen. Then I'm, I'm talking about some stuff people can actually see. The Humans is a really interesting movie. Um, it is adapted from Stephen Karam's play of the same name by Stephen Karam. It won the Tony in its time, whatever the fuck that was. Uh, and it is a movie about six people shuffling around the department on Thanksgiving in uh, downtown Manhattan. Richard Jenkins is the patriarch of a family that also includes Beanie Feldstein as his daughter. Amy Schumer is another daughter. Jane Houdichel is his wife. Uh, June Squibb is his mother. And Stephen Yoon is Beanie Feldstein's boyfriend. Um, and I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. Six people. Anyway, um, it is very... It's very stagey, at least for the first half of it. And then slowly, as stiff as it was and as, as eager as I was for it to be over, it, it morphs into the first, I don't want to use the word conventional, but like the first true horror film about 9-11. I mean, it, it truly becomes over time, even though there are jump scares unexpectedly from the very beginning, a horror film in a haunted house in the most conventional sense. And... um but motivating these these jolts are existential fears. There is talk of a woman with skin pulled over his mouth over her mouth who comes out of Richard Jenkins' character's nightmares. But um, and you half expect her to show up at any moment. But the the fears are definitely 
more abstract ones that are provoked um, in the aftermath of both 9-11 and the Great Recession. Um, and it, of all things to to take, to, to discuss 9-11 its after effects with the language of horror cinema, I was not expecting this to be the source material of that, this play, um, which I'm told was going for a similar effect on the stage. Uh, it is a really fascinating movie. Um, and I was, I mean, I saw it in a screening room. I was very lucky to, to see that where the, the sound was, at, I mean, at, it was it was one of the louder movies I've ever seen in my life. And at first that felt really incongruous. Uh, but as the movie got on, it, it felt like I was watching a Conjuring movie, essentially. Um, and Stephen Karam has, uh, for making his first movie, has the, the chops to pull that off. Um, it feels like a really uh, practiced piece of horror cinema and it it's a 24 is putting it out. I'm not sure exactly when, uh, it's, it's, it's worth seeing. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. All right. I'm gonna throw out a couple that I've seen. Uh, eyes of Tammy Faye was like the big ticket. One of the big ticket premieres that they had at TIFF. It's not a great movie. I do like Jessica Chastain in it a lot. Like, I don't think it can answer the fundamental question of like, why was this woman the way that she was with her insane look? Um, which is a weird thing to do to make a whole movie about Tammy Faye Baker and not do that. But her performance is really good. It's really like nicely sympathetic. I think Andrew Garfield is really good next to her. It's a weird movie for Michael Showalter to make next. I'm not sure it's like a directorial stamp for him, but I enjoyed watching it. Is anything? Uh, I mean, the big sick feels like if like, like, that's going to be like the movie you put out there, like, but you it know, seems it seems like a guy more... for hire. I mean, I guess not that's a, what maybe not in a bad point. way. I mean, he clearly works with actors well. Seems yeah, like I mean, there's some stylish help moments make in my Tammy passion Faye. project. I assume yeah. that Chastain is a is a producer, right? Yeah, she yes. must be. Um, that was definitely her passion project. Um, and then, uh, David, you probably talked about this in the entire thing last year, but but Petite Maman, the Celine Siama movie that is uh, I, I being put up by didn't. Neon. Oh, you didn't? Uh, uh, it was no, on the I, it was that right, but I yeah I covered it back in Berlin. Um, it is delightful. It's a 70 minute movie, um, that I guess, I mean, probably I, it's not really a spoilable movie, but I just won't say too much about it because I didn't really know anything about it when I watched it and I was delighted, but it's, it's like, made in like rules. yeah, it's made in like three locations with like four people, two of them, who, two of whom are little girls who are sisters. Uh, and it's wonderful. Um, and then it, the last it reminded thing me that, a lot of my neighbor Totoro, not in terms of it's oh, wow. you know, mysticality, but in terms of its its energy in the kind of imagination on display in those two girls you described um, and in some of the anxieties that are hanging over them and how they're treated. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of that. And, and she's actually cited Miyazaki as a big influence for this movie, which for Celine Tiyama fans uh, should be exciting. Yes, it's uh, it's great. Neon's putting it out, I guess, maybe this year. I don't know that. They no, I, I it, think but, that you know. the original plan of putting it out this year has been scuttled. But uh, right, for well. it in 2022. Come find it sometime. Uh, and then one more that should be out this year, probably on HBO. There's a, a documentary about Jagged Little Pill, the Alanis Morissette album, not the Broadway show, which I know basically nothing about. Um, but it contains interviews with Alanis Morissette now and a lot of her bandmates and a bunch of her home movies from the tour and kind of her talking about coming up in the Canadian music industry and how much that sucked. Uh, and how, you know, kind of what she was facing in the American music industry when she broke out big. And if you have any uh, associations and memories with Jagged Little Pill, uh, it's great. I really, really enjoyed it. So watch that whenever it make, makes its way to HBO. That's it. Tiff, still going, but. Uh... Is it... Do you think Mr. Duplicity is going to be uh, is going to be struggling through that one because he forgot about her? 
Mr. Duplicity, yeah. I mean, he she bugged him in the middle of dinner, and this is what yeah, happens. It's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, memories coming back at him. There is a photo of her and Dave Coulier together shown in the documentary that I don't know if that's oh been publicly available before, but it was uh, it was quite a thing to see with my own eyes. That was a real Rick and Morty move. <laughs> so, wait, so just to start the segment, for reasons that I'm not entirely aware of, we are going to be talking about the Adams family, the Adams family values. In the segment three, and I mean the reason is because Dave picked them, but I'm not sure what his thinking was. No, Patches uh, picked them. Whatever, uh, you're all the same to me. We're going to um, talk about those movies. I have not had the time to sit down and rewatch either of them. Um, although I know that Adam's Family Values is some kind of masterpiece, the babe, a pig in the city of Adam's Family movies. Uh, I just want to start this off by saying that when I was growing up, my dad became an obsessive pinball player had what oh, yeah. was believed to be the best pinball machine in our apartment. He bought it. He bought the Adams Family himself. Pinball. He bought the Adams Family Pinball Machine. It's incredible. It in machine. house. And for my entire childhood, I just had Raul Julia's voice echoing through my home at all hours of the day. Wow. <laughs> going, yes! Live life. You can't take it with you! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm afraid of what rewatching these movies, the sort of floodgates of memories like Mr. Duplicity that would open and come out. Uh, and that's all I got. But take it away. I, I don't think you should be afraid to rewatch the Adam Family movies. I think that these two movies... Did Who watched both? Did anyone watch both? All I, of the Adam's Family movies? I watched both. Okay, and good. I watched as both. Far, I know that I watched the original sitcom. Um, well, I mean, I know it was Cartoon the New Yorker before it was a sitcom, but I know I watched the sitcom. I'm not sure I had ever seen these movies, which Whoa. is crazy because I was exactly in the target demographic for them. I was about to say, for some and of I us, have seen, me. I've heard the MC Hammer Adam's Family rap a lot of times okay so you're not you're not a lost soul no i know i know all the characters like every the entire adams family is familiar to me but nothing in these movies ring a bell at all i was debating with friends if the adams family was in rotation on nick at night back when we were kids i'm more of a monsters person like i have vivid memories of watching herman and the whole well that was the better tv grandpa Yeah, yeah that was definitely the better tv show i mean reading up on the adams family you know, 1991 movie. It's Barry Sonnenfeld's. I don't. Th- I don't know if it's his directorial it, debut. It is his directorial debut. His yeah, directorial that's pretty amazing. Debut. Yeah. Um. But this is a Scott Rudin movie that took yeah, a his, long time to get going. And Scott Rudin's name in this big uh, spindly Adams Family letters. So so Barry Sonnenfeld yeah. font. It's an entire so thing. Now you're right. It's the Men in Black font too. Yeah, yeah. It's that so skinny little white. Is also a Scott Rudin movie, but he was uh, conveniently cut out of the credits. Uh, oh. But yeah, it took years to get this movie going, it seems, and that the Adams Family 60s sitcom was was not very well known um, due to lack of syndication compared to the monsters. So I, I don't really know where people clearly it, it was if it was 1991, I was not entering this movie with a, <laughs> a strong background with the Adams Family or the monsters or whatever. I just 
saw this movie when it, probably on VHS at some point. But yeah, these two movies are totally burned into my brains and revisiting them uh, was really surprising because for a few reasons. Um, one, just the Barry Sonnenfeld of it all. We were discussing before the podcast, like, what is Barry Sonnenfeld doing? He obviously went on to direct Men in Black. He did uh, Wild Wild West. It was, it's weird that he became Will Smith's guy. That's so strange. And maybe we'll get there. But um, he also directed, like, Robin Williams in RV. But now he does, does more TV. He's better known for doing um, Pushing Daisies and most recently Schmigadoon, if you watch that on Apple TV. Um, he has always had a kind of Burton-esque uh aesthetic and impulses which i guess is a slight to him because he was doing it around the same time as tim mm. burton he started what shooting with the early cohen's and then split off to become his thing and then tim burton sort of like passed him with like all the, the like the 89 so I, 90 handoff i think is, is benefits sonnefeld more because like burton wishes he could have the adams family tone in his latter works. Either Adam's family tone. I mean, this is what yeah. I really want to get into is that the two movies are so different and I would not have recalled that at all. I figured they were kind of both these kind of gothic horror comedies, fish out of water. I was a big fan of the Brady Bunch movies as well. Surprised that a lot of sitcoms got the 90s movie update where, hey, we're just like we were in the sitcom, but now we're in normal life and everyone thinks we're weird. Brady Bunch and Adam's family have the exact same plot, which is is a funny thing to recognize. Um, But Barry Sonnenfeld coming off working with the Coens and working with Sam Raimi, uh, the first Adam's family movie is a complete combination of Raimi and Coen brothers. And it was really startling to see it through that lens uh, in this rewatch. What, what do you make of the style here? Cause I, I would have called it Burton-esque beforehand. And I guess maybe it's easy to write off that first movie as Burton-esque. I think Tim Burton was even talking to Rudin about directing this movie at some point. Yeah, he, uh, somewhere Burton will be making a, uh, an Adams family TV show Wednesday for Netflix soon. So he will be I... probably imitating Barry Sonnenfeld very soon. But um, I, I really found this first movie to be a total combination, like bear, true Barry Sonnenfeld, what he was bringing as a cinematographer to Raimi, all these zany camera moves and the kind of Cohen Rye uh, comedic impulses. What did you make of this first Adams family movie? It's so funny. Like I just couldn't get over True. how and like and I think uh, Paul Rudnick, who uh, is a credit screen, oh, I think to huge that's value. Oh, he did so, really. I, I think I accord, oh, Sorry, this is according to Wikipedia, so who knows? But like, because this has been around for such a long time, I think a lot of people wrote it. Um, but I mean, a lot of the singers are exactly the same. Like you can see the same DNA there. But like, it's funny. Like there's all these great one-liners, and then the ways that all of the the, all of them are weird in different ways. Like, I think you think like, oh, I was family, spooky family. They're into like the macabre, but like, um, Morticia and Gomez just like want to have sex all the time. And like, so sisters, it, it, yeah. And like Wednesday is the grim one. And then like Pugsley is like kind of dumb about it, but like kind of along there with her. And then like the grandmother is there. I don't know. There's just so much variety in all the characters there. And everyone is playing the hell out of all of them. Like, especially Christina Ricci. Like she was an acclaimed child actress for a reason, but like I hadn't seen a performance of her being that young in a long time. Like I remember her better in her like more teenage years. And she's incredible in this like weird, weird ass part for a 10 year old. 
Yeah, she, I don't know if this is really talking about Barry Sonnenfeld's contribution to it, uh, but that is it's what I took away from it. Amazing how it takes place entirely in this like gothic mansion, but it sort of like unfolds to show you more parts of the grounds and more whatever. But we never get beyond the single Adams family set really until like the last 20 minutes uh, where like the conclusion to this movie uh, moves at such a wonderful pace because it takes so much of the film to just explain the family to you. And so you get into the habit of, you know, like a normal family would do this, but the Adamses do this. And isn't it like funny and great? And it is funny and great. But when it's they're brought up against their antagonist, who's equally blown out, uh, she, for the most part, uh, comes to them. And all the set pieces are in like the weird house. And because mm-hmm. of that, we have to move around the house in really interesting ways with the camp and in in a lot of ways like the biggest connection to me between adam's family and adam's family values visually is how the camera moves around whatever space that it's in uh there's lots of swooping there's lots of low angles there's lots of pushing in for punchlines, which is it works when it works it works really well like i really like the look of adam's family and i think it even it's even more exaggerated than something like Burton at that time totally because it 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 is trying to be kind of funny and thrilling not just weird and uh you know gothic inspired and like how it looks yeah I think Burton is ultimately very production designer driven and like we need I think of Beetlejuice I think of the Batman 89 I think of the sets and and the amazing swirls and designs and the costumes this movie has that the the set that they built for the house is impeccable um but it's also the Raimi swooping camera around thing as he as the hand crawls along the floor through this mansion it's really about knowing space and and then also soaking up these weirdos and not letting them be defined the the adamses are not the monsters right they're not just like i'm a frankenstein he's a dracula and we're all like wacky characters their wackiness is just so uh, it's not totally defined. Like we, Gomez is a romantic. Like what are they? What are these characters spoofing? I guess Morticia is kind of a, a witch or a. Well, I mean, if you take yeah. it far, if you take it far enough back, they're New Yorker cartoons. Just like yeah. what if high society was macabre? And I think it still works with that New Yorker cartoon mentality. Each one of right, these, because early on he's golfing into yes. his neighbor's house. <laughs> And each one of and these things. And he's got that like vault full of, uh, you know, like Scrooge McDuck vault in his basement. Absolutely. And right. I, both movies' plots are all around like a money grab, but they don't like care about money whatsoever is because they have so much of it. They're like old money, but they're old money yeah. to the point that they're so weird that they could exist. And people are like, they're just rich, let them be, which is the original New Yorker conceit. It's just amazing that they could fold it out into two separate movies, which is basically like moving from joke to joke. Because even though there are plots in both the films, most of the momentum is basically like little New Yorker cartoons, especially in the second film when we have to jump to camp. And it's like, here's the camp version and here's what the Adamses would see of that, which I really like about it. It keeps it smart and dumb at the same time. I had not thought about this, but you're absolutely right. I mean, something I have been thinking about, I recently rewatched The Princess Bride as well. And there's another movie that's made like by a bunch of New Yorkers. And most of the actors are New York theater people. And having Barry Sonnenfeld being like a New York guy um, makes this movie 
a little more of like New York weird humor. New Yorker cartoon humor is is intact here. And certainly by the time you get to values where Paul Rudnick is writing the entire script, it's Borscht Belt mm-hmm. comedy. It is out of control one liners and like Morticia saying, oh, he had or no. Gomez says he, ha- he has father's eyes. And Morticia says, take them out of his hands, please. Um, and just like the, the so, zings are out of control. My favorite one of those is when uh, Morticia is talking about Gomez. I'm terribly worried about him. He won't eat. He can't sleep. He keeps coughing up blood. He coughs up blood. Well, not like he used to. Like, like <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Or in the, in the second movie when they have a baby and the baby, of course, looks like Gomez, complete with a little mustache. And uh, halfway <laughs> through the movie, he gets sick, which means he looks like one of Katie's children. He has like, <laughs> big golden curls. Moppet golden. Yeah. Golden head. <laughs> um hilarious I, I you know what's interesting about the movie too is i mean all the performances really make this like raul julia is has so much personality and so much so suave and like doing all these dance scenes and romancing morticia um it, he's phenomenal and and angelica houston matching him without having to like lift an arm she barely does anything in this movie and sonnenfeld's gag of always lighting her eyes like she's an old hollywood in every single like shot. she's looking through a confessional booth and there's just like, yeah. a stripe of light on her also it's the so gag brilliant. of her giving birth where he literally lays still the entire time and makes no noise it's just like that, that out gave my Gomez wife a then... panic attack actually so <laughs> she did not care to see no one someone going through birth without flinching um she's not like the rest of us but what do you what do you all make of fester so fester we haven't really talked about the plot and we won't get into it too much because that's kind of boring but like the adams family rides on fester having disappeared at the bermuda triangle and he when when we meet Uncle Fester, quote unquote, it's actually Gordon Craven, played by Christopher Lloyd, who has, I guess, maybe been brainwashed. We will have to debate this fact if this is if he is the actual real Fester, I think is still open ended by the end of the movie. It doesn't really matter. But he is working with someone to try and infiltrate Adams and steal their and steal their money. What do you make of uh, Christopher Lloyd's performance here? I was trying to think of where he's coming from in his career. He's done the Back to the Future movies at this point. To be he's like done immediately Clue. Was, after Back to the Future. Yeah, I guess he's he's like the big star and they kind of have to force Fester to be the star of Adam Stanley values too. Um, I wondered when I was talking to people about this movie, some friends, uh, they didn't really care for Fester in by Adam family values, but I feel like this is, this is Christopher Lloyd's franchise on some level back to the future. They used him right, but this is, this is like, he's the keystone here. Oh, I don't know if I agree with he's a key. I mean, I think he's better than Adam's family values because the way that John Cusack played, like in Adam's family values, you know, the character is like the whole thing in the first one is that like, you think he's an imposter and then he's not really an imposter. He's like kind of caught like the scenes with him. But he's and falling like, in love mother. with the Adamses. Yeah, no. And like, there's this very sweet thing of like him watching them, but I love the way he and John Cusack play off each other in the second one. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know that I would agree. This is his franchise. Like back to the future is too, I think is so much more abundantly his thing. I mean, I think this uh, his performance and physicality is so strong and so consistent. Like even when in the first movie, when he's having moments where mother's supposed to be like testing him and we know it's ridiculous. And at this point we think he's like a fraud. His non fester character is as physically bizarre and how he expresses himself with his face and his body slash the entire design of the character is based on he has no neck. So I think, yes, he's really fester because <laughs> how many people are walking around with no neck? But what Lloyd's able to do with that, 
I don't think it rises to the level of like complexity of full character work where it's like he's playing a thing and they're playing against each other. But it's so cartoonishly obvious what we're supposed to read him as in key moments that I think like he's right up there with uh, Raul Julia and Angelica Houston and just they know what their characters need to look like and act like. And like by executing that, it makes them feel lived in in some sort of way. Especially, uh, I think Angelica Houston and Christopher Lloyd are really the the physical comedy kings of of this movie. Uh, Lloyd, because he has to like throw his body around and be thrown around and uh, be in the background uh, emoting like shock, and they paint like the inside of his lips black in the, for the second one and give him even more of a defined silhouette. It's, yeah, he spends uh, most of that on Stanley Values going, ah! <laughs> just like giant wide-eyed stares and, going, and for better or for worse that, that works for that character like the interesting thing about adam yeah. stanley values is they definitely correctly uh assuaged the um things that weren't working and leaned into things like uh christopher lloyd christina ricci gets like a much bigger part uh, but there isn't as much uh sex talk instead it's sort of like foisted off are you on- kidding me I mean, in sorry, out of family sorry. values. Sorry, from Raul Julia and Angelica Houston. Instead, it's foisted off as a comedy of contrasts between Fester's new relationship and the Adam's kids. family. Adam's family value literally has Christopher Lloyd's Uncle Fester uh, orgasming. Yes, it does. Yes. I was very surprised to see that. <laughs> Not something I was expecting from a movie I definitely watched a hundred times as a kid. So, but that I was mean, good. It, it properly shifts the characters. And so Adam's sure. Family Values just feels like more of what you liked of the first one, which is what we wanted in sequels in the early 90s. But I like, I you know kind what? of liked that the plot's light on both of them. I don't understand why Adam's Family Values is so widely regarded as a superior one. Like David was talking in the beginning about how it's the uh, I, I, uh, baby of the up. two, because I like it's bigger. It's got, I mean, the cast is great. It's got like all these million cameos. It's got more musical numbers, but the music, but the musical number in the first one, I think is the best of all of them. Um, but they just feel so like of a piece to me. Like if you like the first one, you'll love the second one. It's not like some huge leap in, in what makes it great. I yeah. totally agree with you. Rewatching these movies back to back or back to back nights, um, I think Adam's Family valued, overvalued, perhaps, or at least remembered as just the nonstop jokes. It's probably really, really, really funny as uh, when you're a kid, um, and it's hysterical now. I mean, as you were saying, uh, Wednesday gets all these great lines when they ship her off to the camp, and she is wearing all black, and everyone is Aryan and smiling, and f- Christine Baranski is so frightening um, trying to get these kids to dance. The other weird thing about Adam's Family Values, they go to summer camp and perform a Thanksgiving song and dance number. Which makes no um, sense, but it gives you the chance for her great monologue. The theory that we've come up with is that maybe they li- understand the Native American experience that they are appropriating for their camp so little that they the only thing they can think to do is put on a Thanksgiving pageant in the middle of the summer because they don't understand Native Americans at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still Credit. doesn't make any sense. And it's the movie came out in November. Like this is there known as a Thanksgiving movie. So it has a Thanksgiving musical number, but it, it's not a Thanksgiving movie at all. <laughs> There's no family. They ship their kids off. Uh, I mean, th- it to baby David Krumholtz as uh, Wednesday's love interest, who's perfect. As the, I feel uh, like Paul Rudnick and Barry Sonnenfeld were like for the sequel, uh, a great Jew in the in the in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Are there no Jews in the original cast? Uh, I have to be. 
Lloyd, David, do you know if Christopher Lloyd's part of the, the tribe? Hey, speak, speak for your people, David. <laughs> uh, hold on. Let me check my mental uh, Rolodex of every G1 <laughs> planet. Uh, I am famously surprised literally every time someone impressive turns out to be Jewish. It's the ultimate manifestation of my self-loathing. So uh, the fact that Christopher Lloyd is pretty cool. I'm going to say Christopher Nolan, definitely not a Dan Jew. Hedaya is, uh, might Dan Hedaya is, Dan Hedaya is uh, made is out of... He's just a pure six-foot-tall ball of chest hair, of Jewish chest hair. I mean, <laughs> okay. he is... He, so yes, they got some representation in the guy. first movie too. Okay, Good uh, to know. Uh, Sally Jesse Raphael's birth name is uh, Lowenthal. I feel like that's got to count. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Stop Again, calling, Mister. Strong Adams. New York roots here. Um, I don't know where they meet. <laughs> but yeah, out of Sally values, I, I think it just has a reputation for being a joke. A minute, like it is pure <laughs> Paul Rudd. I am now reading an article called Eleven Jewish Facts About the Adams Family Movies." Okay, list them. Uh, here we go. Hang on. Let's get into it. We'll rank them no, by also, how surprised we are. David, <laughs> did you know one, that Christopher Lewis short. from your part of Connecticut? Sorry. Oh, it's hey. not my part of Connecticut. I, I borrowed Westport. that part of Connecticut. <laughs> Westport is, is not even is remotely close to the part of Connecticut where I live. All um, right. It's uh, a small state, and that is on the other side of it. Family matriarch Morticia, played by Angelica Houston, endearingly calls Gomez Bubba which is a sweet Yiddish term that translates in this context right. to darling or sweetheart. That's true. One. Two. Jewish director. It's in bold letters. <laughs> Gary Sonnenfeld, best known for Men in Black, made his directorial debut with The Addams Family. In the sequel, Sonnenfeld makes a cameo. Did you guys know that? Huh? Huh? He does. He plays Krumholtz's You didn't know that. You didn't know shit. Number of three. Of course. I, could, I actually thought well, uh, Sonnenfeld was in both of them. Isn't Sonnenfeld the guy who's stuck on the train that Pugsley is playing Don't with? try to one-up the Jerusalem Post, okay? While filming a scene for the Adams family, when Gomez discovers Morticia tied up bondage style, legend has it that Julia kept flubbing his line, which was in Spanish. So Sonnenfeld told the actor to take it from the top for the Hebrew version. According to Rolling Stone, Julia asked, how do you say leather straps and red hot pokers in Hebrew? When Sonnenfeld confessed that he didn't know, Julia asked about Yiddish, leather straps and red hot pokers, oy ve ishmir, Sonnenfeld replied, sending the whole set laughing. I will now be fact. I don't know if we should do all eleven of these facts. This is uh, <laughs> this listen, could take all night. Our listeners are loving this, and we have eight more to go. So let's let's hurry up here. In Adam's family values, everyone's favorite spooky teenager Wednesday and her brother Pugsley are sent to a sleepaway camp, but not just any camp. <laughs> a Jewish summer camp. Is it? Uh, well, not no. <laughs> Listen, take up all your complaints to the Jerusalem Well, Post. I mean, Krumholtz is, is Wait, there. Wait, hold on. But he, would you, yeah, would you let yeah. representation. the chosen people, the chosen reporters finish batches? While not <laughs> explicitly mentioned in the movie, Camp Chippewa is a real camp in Wisconsin that's popular among upper-class Jewish households. Fuck okay. you. Mark Shaman, one of the producers um, and composers of the Adams Family music, is Jewish. There's Family okay. Plots, a beautiful instrumental song that accompanies Gomez, a Gomez's, accompanies Gomez as he reminisces about his long-lost brother Fester. And then the Mamushka, of course, the Mamushka, another pinball machine classic. Uh, Uncle Fester marries a gold-digging gold digging nanny, Debbie Jelinski. As Wednesday, That's the Jewish. flower girl walks down... Well, hang on, Katie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> as Wednesday, the flower girl walks down the aisle, a spooky rendition of Sunrise Sunset from Fiddler on the Roof is played on the piano. And that, my friends, <laughs> is definitely Jewish. Oh, we didn't really talk number... about uh, we didn't really talk about 
Joan Cusack being Wait. absolutely amazing in this movie. She's oh, incredible, yeah. and almost as good as she is in broadcast news, if, as if that bar could ever be reached. I remember that performance well from this movie. But what I also remember is fact number seven, the big one, the big kahuna. Lurch is Jewish. No, I don't know. Scott Rudin, the Lurch of oh, no, Rudin, no. is Jewish. Okay. Did you know this? I was I a Jewish kid from Long Island who didn't want to be a Jewish kid from Long Island, Rudin, Rudin said. Uh, good news, Rudin, that is no longer how anybody thinks of you. Wednesday's love interest is Jewish. She's played by the Jewish actor David Krumholtz. I feel like we should uh, cite the author of this article at this point. We will. I'm skimming now because these points are getting longer. We're on nine of we're on nine out of eleven. <laughs> it did, uh, actually, the Adams family was filled with Jewish contributors. Again, bold. Uh, the late <laughs> Judith Molina, who played Grandmama Adams at the Adams family, is a Jewish German immigrant. And Dan Hedaya misspelled in this article. Although they booted you, her from the first. Uh, well, they pressed her with played, Carol Kane, also Jewish. Yeah. Now, who played Tully Alfer, the evil lawyer who plotted to steal the Adams fortune, was born to Sephardic Jewish family. The legendary Jewish talk show host, Sally Jesse Raphael. Hey! Wow, okay, you got it, Katie. A.K.A. Katie, Sally Lowenthal, mm-hmm. had a cameo in the Adams family. She played herself on her talk show, Sally Jesse Raphael, and did a bit about voodoo witch doctors in the United States. And finally, finally, last, and I'm hoping most, when the Adams family sitcom aired in the 1960s, it was seen as subtle commentary on racism in the United States. While audiences are growing to love the quirky and spooky Adams family, Jews and black Americans were moving into previously all-Gentile and all-white neighborhoods. Oh, Here, shit. the Adams family served to represent the social issues that monsters were invading their territory. Likewise, the Adams family and Adams family values addressed these issues and inviting viewers to accept the monsters for their loving personalities despite their different appearance. Welcoming the stranger in bold. Clearly, that's a Jewish and an Adams family value. <laughs> there you so, go. Yikes. Ariel is- Ariel Kaplan posted on May 2nd, 2019 at 424. Oh, wow. It's unclear whether it's AM or PM. I think this is a 424 AM article, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, there you go. On the t- this is the Times of Israel. Israel. Yeah, I didn't. Oh. I, 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 that, um... Jerusalem Post. That thing I attributed to the New Yorker earlier just got uh, attributed to Jewish families, and you know, especially with Sonnefeld directing it, I might have just completely reread it as a non-Jew and thought like, "Oh, this is just like that classic <laughs> New York classism." <laughs> this is New York, you oh, know, wow, that yeah. classism that everybody <laughs> recognizes. Like, you know, the Adam everybody... movies are Jewish canon. Um, I actually, I thought uh, because Tony Shalhoub is on Mrs. Maisel, right? He shows up in the movies, but apparently he was born. Uh, Tony Shalhoub Le- is in these movies? Lebanese Christian. Yeah, Tony Shalhoub is in. This is a segue to you, Katie. So Tony Shalhoub, oh. lots of people show up in these movies. Yes. Uh, Cynthia Nixon shows up in Values. Cynthia Nixon, that was Good amazing. cameo. I guess it's not a cameo. It's just she. It's was, just she's a, a tiny, part. tiny part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Tony Shalhoub, one of his first roles is in Adam's Family Values. He's one of the sailors in the bar when Joan Cusack ditches Fester to just live life and sing drunk and this is where you get to talk about Macho oh, Man. Oh yeah, the thing that I wanted to say is this is one of two movies in which uh, that involves a prominent use of Macho Man and Joan Cusack, the other one also being written by Paul Rednick, which is in and out Great movie. There must be a connection there. What yeah, is there I assume that I assume, well I don't know what has to do with the song I mean, the I don't think Joan Cusack is in any of the scenes with Macho Man, but there are scenes in a uh, rundown, uh, kind of like Roadhouse Bar, uh, and Joan Cusack got an Oscar nomination for In and Out, in which she no is uh, maybe as better than she is in this and in Broadcast News. She's amazing Doubtful. in that movie. It is, uh, no spoilers, but there is a scene in Cry Macho where Clint Eastwood, <laughs> a la Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer in um, Call Me By Your Name, dances to 
cry macho at a disco. Uh, sorry, to Macho Man at a disco. So the Macho Man is in the movie. <laughs> no, it's not. But can you imagine? There's a scene where Clint Eastwood punches someone in the face. He's 91 years old. We're going to talk about Cry Macho later. Don't spoil Cry Macho. Dave, David Hyde Pierce is the delivery room doctor in Adam's Family Values. Uh, Nathan so Lane lights. is the police officer that they, they go to talk to. It's uh, all these cameos. Yeah. All New York people. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's just it's such a gem, like all things that we never would have noticed when we were uh, children watching this. So here's my question to wrap up on Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values Rewatch. Do these movies have any kind of legacy? I mean, you mentioned, Katie, that values constantly comes up as this like minor comedic masterpiece or people try and sell it as something underrated. I was reading our pal uh david sims wrote about it on the atlantic not too long ago and being like this is this is like thanksgiving masterpiece but i'm like i don't, I don't know it, it seems like an easy thing to check in a list but i can't tell if the adam Sandler mo- movies have any kind of did they make a real splash they did okay box office wise they clearly launched sonnenfeld's career but i don't know if they stuck around or they just like uh, the Flintstones movie, the Brady Bunch movie. They were just making all these kind of 90s comedies out of old TV. they're a lot funnier than any of those other ones. Not that I have revisited them recently, so I guess I should not dish, dish uh, the Flintstones right now. But yeah, I mean, for all the reasons we just talked about, we spent so long talking about how funny and sharp and like politically topical this movie is. So yeah. Yeah, Fuck and this yeah. was uh, Dave's first Royal Julia. So, you know, because why else would, would he run across that at such a young age? So I'm very Street happy Fighter? for that. I mean, that that was after this, for sure, because that was as Raul Julia was sick. So I, I knew him definitely as Gomez first. Plus, these characters got uh, saved. Like, there's a reason the Adams Family, there's an Adams Family movie out right now, or in theaters right now. Um, and, uh, you know, we're still, like, we're still letting Rob Zombie do the monsters and Tim Burton do, you know, like, Dark Shadows. Like, this is the one that got elevated out to become a property that is now like a family property, which is quite the the journey for it. But I think, yeah, I like these movies. At least, I don't know if I could pick one or the other in terms of having a distinct impact because if you saw these movies and continually rewatched these movies during the 90s like I did, they kind of blur together. Like the plots are so similar where it's like something with Fester and they're after the money. And then like, I like Wednesday scenes. So there isn't a chance. Yeah, they kind of do the exact same Fester plot in Adam's Family Values. Hey, it worked the first time. Maybe yeah. Fester the second time it has Joan Cusack. And oh, it, Cusack. it makes it feel even more sitcom-y, which is like the... All there, and at the end of both movies, they have these little coda scenes that feel very sitcom-y on purpose in, in a good way, where it's basically Fester being like, well, aren't I glad that I figured that out? And then they get like tip off on another adventure and we go to the credits. It's I, I wish there were more Barry Sonnefeld movies like this because when they're like allowed to be goofy but also just good goofy, I think it, it it's, it's something that really works. Yeah, it, it, this works better than Malignant. Big. Oh damn! We're coming for you, James Wan. Uh, well, we're getting more Abs Family in the future, courtesy of Tim Burton. Can't say I'm terribly excited. These movies hold up. Watch Adam's Family. Val- Adam's Family, number one, 
It's on Pluto TV. You can watch it for free with ads right now. Adam's Family I'm a, Values. I'm a, I'm a convert to Pluto TV now. <laughs> yes. I think Adam's Family Values streaming on Paramount Plus is where yes, I watch that. So I believe it's on Paramount Plus. They are at your fingertips, everybody. Go back and rewatch Adam's Family movies. Da-na-na-na. The end That does it for this week's show. Next week, uh, we're talking about Cry Macho. You might think we talked about Cry Macho this week, but we didn't. Uh, it'll be on uh, on HBO Max, so we can all watch it. We'll talk about it, and if it's, uh, I hear it's about a cockfight, I guess. I mean, yeah. Or you could go to yeah. the drive-in with your dog and see it in theaters. Yeah, I don't have rough, a dog, rough. but if I did, maybe I'll take the hermit crabs. Yeah, Make sure they take both the sure hermit crabs. <laughs> I'm sure they'd love it. You're paying per uh, axle it- anyway. <laughs> in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I am also producing another podcast called Galaxy Brains. This week we're talking about Why the Last Man. I can't remember who the guest is. I'm a really bad promoter, but um, it, it's fantastic. You should listen to it. Uh, and we have more episodes. As mentioned at the top of the show, you could listen to an episode a day for a year of Fighting in the War Room. Of just and this to show. Go back. And to go back and see what we we talked about, go to fightinginthewarroom.com. You can see all the episodes. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I am very, very tired. I thought that was uh, the ghost of Rush Limbaugh again. I'm the ghost of Rush Limbaugh. Actually, I can't recall the sound of Rush Limbaugh's voice, and really there is no better feeling in this life than when you forget the identifying <laughs> details of your enemies. So uh, I am not going to look it up. But you can find all of us on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. You can find me on IndieWire, um, the fumes of the fumes of the fumes of my brain, writing about whatever is playing at TIFF. Um, and all of the fall films that reviews are out there. Uh, yeah. Oh, I saw Dune. Did we talk about Dune on this podcast? I can't remember. Yeah, we will be talking about Dune in this months. podcast. Yeah. Um, Give us time. Anyway. Uh, Desert Power. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7D. You can listen to me on the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast. Where we're doing our wrap-up of the entire Lost series. And, uh, yeah, that, that's that's it for me. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on uh, at Vanity Fair and on the Little Men podcast, where we're uh, uh, talking about the Emmys and TIFF some more. Uh, you can find me on the Still Watching podcast, as uh, rudely suggested was not the case. Thank you very much. Uh, you can also find me dancing the mamushka anywhere that the mamushka can be danced. Mamushka! Mamushka! Uh, you can... Mamushka. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, aka Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would love to see your rendition of the mamushka, or you can just answer this week's lightning round question. In honor of Cry Macho, what's a better name for a movie involving cost fighting? And thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Every day I'm gonna move. This is the city of the sun. Every day I'm gonna move.